You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Keep Fish Wet Executive Director Sasha Clark Danilchuk, and we talk about everything from best practices for handling fish to the interconnectedness of habitat, climate change, and keep fish wet principles, the resiliency of nature, and yes, we agree, bonefish do in fact live in the most beautiful places. Hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance. The FFCA is an alliance of fly fishing guides, shops, lodges, brands, and nonprofits who are committed to going carbon neutral by 2030. To learn more, please visit EmergerStrategies.com. Sasha, I wanted to sort of just get things started with, let's just talk about, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and keep fish wet. Yeah, sure. Um, And thanks so much for having me on. Um, So Keep Fish Wet is a nonprofit. Our mission is to help anglers create better outcomes for each fish they release. Um, So really we're focusing on, you know, best practices um, for handling fish that you do plan to release. Um, We know that depending on what you're after, not everybody's releasing all their fish, but most people practice catch and release at some point, even if they're going out to fish for food. Um, so, you know, we're looking to, to provide anglers with some tools so that there's more fish in our lakes, rivers, and oceans to, to catch again another day. Cool. Um, so yeah, and so I, I guess also I've, as I sat there and, and and asked you that question about keep fish wet, um, I guess I'll provide a little of additional context. Um, I first met you and and Andy, um, your husband, at a at IFTD like I don't know two or three years ago or something. Um, yeah. And that's sort of just to provide some some history and context. That, that's sort of when we first met, and that's when Keep Fish Wet was not yet a nonprofit, um, which I think is is relatively new status for y'all. Is is that right? Yep. Yep. Um. So, which is awesome. Um. And one one of the things too, uh, Andy was also on a on a sustainable business panel discussion that I did at IFTD. So anyone listening, that's a podcast. I don't know what episode it is, but you can you can find that if you if you so desire. But um, <laughs> but but I thought I would provide just a little additional context, and um, I also wanted to say that uh, keep fish wet is also I'll, I'll do a little shameless self promotion on here, but. Um, is also the first nonprofit member to join the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance, meaning that they're committed to going carbon neutral by 2030. Um, so we'll we'll get more into all that. But I thought after I asked the first question, I thought, well, maybe it might be a little helpful if people understood that 
we've this isn't the first time we've spoken. <laughs> right. um, so with, with with all of that to say, with a little bit of history, I also kind of leads me to my next question, which is, um, how how did you get from your your beginnings, which I actually don't know much about, to being the executive director of Keep, Keep Fish Wet? Um, good question. How did I get here? <laughs> um, so, you know, I've, um, it, it came out of kind of a conversion of my, uh, passion as, a, as a, as an angler, as a fly angler mostly. And then, you know, my work in, um, in aquatic sciences and, and really, you know, most, my professional background is as a, as a fishery scientist and most of my work has been on the impacts of, of catch and release angling on different uh, recreational fisheries populations. So, you know, the more I studied and the more I fished, I kind I realized that there was, um, you know, a disconnect between kind of what I was doing in the fishery science world and the information and knowledge that was available to recreational angling about the imp impacts of catch and release. Um, so, you know, I first joined kind of what used to be keep them wet fishing um, before we rebranded recently. Um, and I started out writing a blog series and, you know, part of my goal was to take that fishery science information in particular on, on catch and release and translate some of that information so that it was accessible to recreational anglers. You know, scientists write papers full of jargon, even it can be, you know, taxing for fellow scientists to kind of read through them and they're, they're incredibly dense. It takes a, a lot of time. Um, and a lot of them are also behind payroll paywalls. So they're not even accessible um, to recreational anglers, but they're, especially the catch and release science is just full of information um, that can be usable by recreational anglers. Um, so, part of what I started doing is trying to to translate that science so that it could be more available um, to anglers. So I started a, a blog series um, doing that. And then, you know, my role and responsibilities just sort of grew from there. And then um, at the beginning of last year, 2019, we decided to uh, finally roll everything over into a nonprofit and changed our name at that point and applied for 501c3 status, which takes a very long time to go through. That was like an eight month process getting our IRS um, uh, 501c3 status. And um, yeah, and then we just rebranded this summer actually in the, in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, to announce the name change and, and nonprofit status, so. That's that's awesome, and congrats on that. Um, I know that that's a lot of hard work to to get to nonprofit status. Um, but so so in in your background, and 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 I am a non scientist, so you, you may have to to dumb this down. But um, what are some of I guess the the well, may, uh, maybe I need to back up. 
First, is there a difference between catch and release, like principles between fresh and salt water? And what are some of those like general general findings that you found in, in, in your research? Yeah, so we, um, so for catch and release science as a whole, right, if you're looking across species, you know, there's over 400 studies that have been done. Um, so it's quite a sizable chunk of research that we have at this point. Um, but, you know, a lot of that research has been done in the last decade or so. So it's, you know, the, the practice of catch and release and certainly as a conservation and management tool definitely predates the science on catch and release. Mm. Um, so, um, so there, but, and we found some commonalities, right? You know, there's definitely like species specific differences, like what you do with a rainbow trout is, you know, different or what happens to a rainbow trout is different than what happens to a bonefish, right? Um, and, you know, we don't, need, we don't need science to tell us that. We know there's gonna be differences. Um, but there's also some commonalities that we found that, um, you know, across species. So what we've done at Keep Fish Wet is to essentially, you know, pull out those commonalities throughout all the research and um, especially focus, we focus on, you know, the things that are in an angler's control. There are some things we we won't be able to, to always control for. You can't always make sure that you don't depook fish, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes that's just going to happen. Um, but we've pulled out the, the best practices, the things that anglers can do that are most within our control and that make the most difference for the outcome for fish that are released. And we've distilled those down into three simple principles. And there are things that any angler can do. Uh, they apply to almost any fishing situation, you know, on any type of water body. Um, so our, our first principle is to minimize air exposure. Now, not surprise, surprising given, given our name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, really that goes to, you know, how gills function. You know, mm -hmm. fish, fish need oxygen just like us, but they're only getting dissolved oxygen from the water, right? They can't get it from the air. So when we're taking fish out of the water, we're you know, more or less making them hold their breath. Um, so, so minimizing air exposure and most of the studies show that 10 seconds or less is okay for most species. So, you know, even if you don't have a underwater camera, you can still get a good picture of a fish in 10 seconds. Um, yep. You know, it's definitely possible. Um, our second principle is to eliminate contact with dry surfaces. Most fish are covered in a slime layer, it's a mucus, and that protects them sort of the same way our skin does, right? It protects them from infection and disease. Um, and so we try, uh, you know, not to remove that slime layer because that makes them more susceptible to the disease and infection. So, you know, keeping your, your hands wet um, when you're picking them up, um, not pulling them up onto the shore or hard rocks, um, things like that, keeping them out of the bottom of your boat if you're going to release them, um, all those sorts of things make a big difference as well. 
And then our, our third principle is to uh, decrease handling time. And handling is really anything you're doing to a fish from landing to release that that constitutes handling time. So whether they're in your hand or in a net or in a cradle, um, that's all part of handling time. And uh, if you think of fish as being, you know, wild animals, which they are <laughs> for the most part, um, even the hatchery, hatchery based ones, um, you know, restraining a wild animal is a stressful experience to them. So the shorter that amount of time that we can restrain them for, the better, the better for the fish. So letting them go and um, letting them recover where they want to recover as opposed to being in your hands or in a net um, is going to help create better outcomes for them as well. So. And, and does the, the handling time is, is that also, would, would you also consider like, you know, fighting the fish or, or playing the fish as part of that as well? Um, no. Okay. So this is just like when, when you've got them both side or, you know, you're netting them. Um, yeah. What happens after that? Exactly. So, I mean, obviously playing a fish on the end of the line is, you know, we talk about it in the sciences, you know, you're exercising that animal, right? It's, It's forced exercise. Um, and that does have impact. It's just a little bit, um, more difficult to control than some of those other aspects, right? Right. Bigger fish, we usually fight for longer. I mean, obviously matching your gear to the fish is really helpful. You know, not fishing super lightweight gear for a big fish, um, makes a difference. Um, but, uh, but that's, it's a, that's a little bit more out of an angler's control, um, than, than some of the other three things that I mentioned, even yep. though it still has an impact. Um, cool. Yeah, that, that that's interesting because um, this kind of, this has me thinking about. Um, I remember the first bonefish that I ever caught um, was on my honeymoon, actually, in Turks and mm-hmm. Caicos, and nice. Um, yeah, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I live there, actually. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, abs- the water there is just incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And But, you know, I, this was kind of, I was getting into saltwater fly fishing, and um, I guess you could still consider me a, a, a kook at, 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 at that point in time. And I remember catching my first bonefish and just going in and, it was, I was on the beach. I was by myself. It was DIY. Like I was just kind of got lucky or not kind of, I got, I got very lucky and caught a bonefish and picked it up and got, you know, the sort of the famous bonefish slime on my hands. And, you know, had I had information like this available to me, um, probably could have done a better or not, you know, I, I could have done a better job of, of, um, handling that fish and making sure that it, it got back safely and, and fully, uh, fully revived because uh, I definitely had a, a handful of of bonefish slime <laughs> from my dry hand from uh, from catching that fish. Yeah, well, it's a process for all of us, you know. I sometimes show pictures of me, you know, not using the best handling techniques on fish during presentations. Um, you know, just to reiterate that 
we can't be perfect all the time. And, and sometimes just different fishing situations won't, don't facilitate it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, is the other part, if you're fishing from a boat with a really high sides, like sometimes it's really hard to land fish and, you know, and be able to get the hook out of their mouth without taking them out of the water for a few seconds. Um, but, you know, I think the, the more that we can, learn about fish handling and then certainly as the we get more and more science too that helps inform what those best practices are um you know the more that we can all make a difference um you know in practicing conservation through best handling practices so yeah well yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah well I, I love that you brought that up because i mean you know it's just kind of like like anything right i guess you know you start out and you're you're new to something and the the more you get into it the more you learn the more you want to protect sort of you know what you love and this is sort of part of yeah. i guess on that timeline for for anglers when they get to a point where they realize that hey you know if i don't handle fish properly um and i'm trying to release it for um because i'm not going to you know eat it, uh, then I, I need to make sure that the fish survives, um, and that you care enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I have a, you and I have, have, have talked about this a little bit and I'm, I'm, I want to learn more about this, um, because of, of the nature of, of my business and, and the fly fishing climate Alliance, is the connection between keeping a you know following these principles and how that relates to to climate change can can you um elaborate on that a little bit um but i'm sure more 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 credibly and fluently than than i could (laughs) sure i mean you know so the way i think about fisheries and maybe fish conservation in general is that we want to create sustainable, resilient fisheries. Um, you know, that's that's kind of the end goal, right? We we don't want to be the last generation of people who can go and catch bonefish in the Turks and Caicos Islands. <laughs> we want our kids to be able to do that as well, and their kids. So. Um, so there's so many different pieces that that play into that. And um, a lot of the the impacts to fisheries are interrelated. Um, so, so as we're, you know, if the if the big goal is resilient fisheries, um, then you know all these different impacts, right? And you can think of like climate change as one, handling practices another. Um, you know, development, habitat destruction, a lot of these things are are interrelated and they're all kind of pushing against fisheries being resilient. Um, And so if we can tackle some of these things, um, it can help create more resiliency and then maybe a little more breathing room, I guess you could say, to tackle some of these other issues, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so if we, um, 
I guess I, I think of it as it's these aren't either or issues, right? right they're right. they're both and they're all related. We need to be addressing all of these issues if we want resilient fisheries. Um, you know, just picking and choosing a few doesn't mean that it's it's going to have the overall uh, impact that we want. And you know, we saw this if you look at the history of. Uh, commercial fisheries, we we saw this, you know, this happened where they, um, you know, there were some fisheries that were just managed using like maximum sustainable yield and just thinking about how many fish we were taking out of a population. And then nobody realized that there were all sorts of um, habitat destruction issues that were going on in the background. And so, you know, if you're only thinking about um, how many fish you're taking out of a population uh, and forgetting about that they have habitat needs, um, you know, <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. Um, right. So, you know, it's, it's the same with recreational fisheries, um, you know, and as we, as we talk about climate change issues, um, you know, especially as we talk about things like water temperature, which is one that I think a lot of a lot of people in the U.S. this summer, especially, were noticing that water temperatures were um, higher than normal. Um, you know, that impacts best practices and how fish respond to to catch and release. Um, so, you know, that's just one example of kind of how these issues are all interrelated, but it's like a spider web, right? <laughs> there, there's myriad connections of, of how these kind of threats and impacts are all related to each other and interplay. So. Yeah, yeah, no, and, 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 and as you were talking about that, I, I kind of, especially when you bring up the, the habitat side and, and you just have all of these different um, problems that together are interconnected and, and and you can't address one without the other. And so the example that I'm thinking of in my mind is thinking, okay, well, let's just hypothetically, let's talk about, um, you know, the Everglades. And so you have in, in that situation where the environment's being degraded um, because of the lack of fresh water flow south. So that is related to habitat. And then you have warming ocean temperatures, which to my knowledge, that also deoxygenates the water. So it's, it's yeah. warmer and it's putting stress on the fish. And then you add in, okay, well, I'm, I'm fighting a, a, a tarpon or a bonefish. It doesn't really matter the species. You're fighting a fish in a degraded environment with less oxygen and then if you add the fact that you want to, you know, not practice keep fish wet principles, you're, you're putting uh, a potentially deadly amount of, of stress on, on that fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how you could put it all together. And, you know, you can layer in like without those freshwater flows coming down through the Everglades, like there's habitat changes. So there could be like less food availability, you know, um, as well. So you, you can kind of go on and on and on about. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that's awesome. That, that that's, uh, that's helpful. And I think a, a really important point and 
to make in, in all of this is to understand that, you know, it, it, everything is, is interconnected. So it's not, you know, it's like you, you can't, um, you know, you can think of even development, um, you know, you, you, you can't drain an aquifer, like in, I'm, I'm going to stick with Florida for this example. You can't drain an aquifer and expect that not to have uh, implications throughout ecosystems and also, you know, ultimately back to us with, you know, okay, well, what happens? Um, and I'll go back to climate change with, you know, say sea level rise and saltwater intrusion into the aquifer because it's been depleted so much. Um, so those are just kind of a, a couple of examples that are coming to mind as we're, we're kind of, we're talking about this. Um, Can but, I throw out another one? Cause I yeah. think people, I think people forget about sometimes too. So um, I think it's really easy to think about climate change and what maybe stemming from like the term global warming, right. Um, you know, and how, and, and rising temperatures and rising sea levels, but, um, you know, remembering too, that climate change changes, um, precipitation regimes and it changes like winter storm regimes. So, you know, there's also the potential that like, you'd have more winter kill in places um, because you have more ice on lakes and, you know, less availability of oxygen or things like that. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that side of how climate change impacts fisheries and then, um, all, you know, it's not, it's not just the getting warmer part of it, I guess. Um, is important to remember too. There's a, there's a lot of other places, um, you know, or, or just less water in our systems, right? So, you know, and how does a low water event, you know, how to fish, then if you're catching and releasing fish, how to fish respond um, if the water's lower um, than normal as well, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, you know, that it, it, it in, in a number of ways, and, you know, you could, let's let's maybe even try and is there a way that i guess that you would best explain as i guess as simply as possible for say like how is climate change affecting like cold water species for example like just to generalize it like so like to me i guess you have less snowpack um, which means less cold water in, in streams married with more, uh, frequent droughts, which can lead to wildfires and then a warming planet. Is that, is that kind of a, a good yeah. generalization, I guess, um, is, is the question I have? Is that like I a good, so. I mean, my, and like, I'm not a climate change scientist, so, you, you know, I'll preface. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but, you know, and I think those, you might have less snowpack or you might have less frequent storms, but more severe storms Yeah. Um, in some places too. So um, I think it gets really nuanced is the, is the other side of this too, right? Um, yeah. And so pulling apart all those, you know, some, some of it depends on where you're talking about. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But, yeah. Um, 
Okay, cool. Well, what is, um, let's talk a little bit. So we, we, we've talked about some of these, these principles, some of the just sort of interconnected um, environmental threats and challenges to, to fisheries. Um, what are, what are some, I guess, best handling practices or tips that, that y'all, um, if, that y'all promote for, for anglers who want to practice keep fish wet principles? Yeah. So we, um, so we have the principles, you know, and those are fairly general. And then, um, also we have a bunch of tips that are more specific, right? Things that, that specific actions that anglers can take. And, um, they're a little less generalized. Like they don't, they won't maybe necessarily apply to every fishing situation. Um, but they apply to a lot of them. So, you know, things like, uh, fish barbless hooks, um, you know, and that, that goes into, uh, like even handling time, right? It's much, much faster and easier to remove a barbless hook. Um, my number one reason for fishing barbless is that I know at some point I am going to hook myself. I mean, I have hooked myself and I know it's going to happen again. And I would much rather be digging a barbless hook out of my own skin than a barbed hook. Right, um, right. So, you know, that um, if you're using a net, kind of one of those rubberized nets, um, those are the, the best for fish. They remove the least amount of slime. Um, you know, essentially you want to be avoiding a, a knotted nylon net. Um, you know, again, it goes back to like abrasion. So that, that's going to re remove a lot more slime if it's, if it's knotted. Um, what are some, some other good tips? Um, being wary of warm water, right? We, yep. we sort of touched on that, but, um, you know, fishery scientists call water, uh, sorry, temperature, the master factor, um, and water temperature kind of affects everything, almost everything about fish biology and ecology. So as the water gets warmer, as you mentioned, you know, it also, it holds less oxygen. Um, but it also means that, um, fish have a harder time recovering from catch and release when the water is warmer yep. um, physiologically. So it's kind of a double whammy in that um, they're more susceptible to the impacts and then the water also has less ox oxygen. Interesting. Um, what about, um, so like, like I know you mentioned too, cause everyone is, you know, my, myself included is, 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 is guilty of the, the, the grip and grin. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's just kind of comes, it just, you know, sometimes you, 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 you want to capture that moment and, and that memory and, and that fish. Um, but there's a responsible way to do that. And, um, I was wondering if you could shed some, some, some light on that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I there's some great tools out there to, I think, that help take, you know, more, I call them fish-friendly photos, mm -hmm. um, and just, and techniques as well, right? So, 
Um, you know, I'm too scared to put my phone by itself underwater. Um, I know they say that you can do that, but I, I'm not gutsy enough to actually try that, but I, I didn't know so, that. I, I, I'm definitely not, not gutsy enough to do that. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, there's, there's a, like, there's a whole range of, um, products from, uh, inexpensive to more expensive that will allow you to take, you know, even underwater photos of, of fish, right? Um, some I've used, there's a company called LookSack, which makes just kind of like higher grade Ziploc bags. Um, and I've got one that my phone will fit in and, um, you know, so you can take underwater photos that way. And then, um, more recently I've started using a access go housing made by Aquatech, And, um, those are absolutely fantastic. They even come with a big dome lens. So you could take like amazing split shot photos where the fish is underwater, but the angler is above water and you can get both in the photo. Um, so, you know, and, and then there's, you know, a few products in between, um, certainly as well, but, you know, thinking about some of those tools, um, if you really want to get a good photo, um, are worth it. And then, you know, just thinking about kind of how you're handling a fish. Um, obviously if, if, if you can be in the water, it makes all of this so much easier, right? So even if you're fishing from a boat, if you're able to get out, um, and, and be in the water while somebody takes a photo of you, it's just gonna, then, then it's easy, right? Then you can kind of hold the fish with the fish's back just above the waterline. Those make really good photos or even, you know, lifting it from less than 10 seconds. It's really easy if you have your, whoever's operating the camera, get all set up and say, and count you down and say, okay, I'm gonna take the photo three, two, one, you lift your fish, within three seconds, you can get a bunch of really great photos and then the fish goes back in the water. Um, so those are kind of my, my recommendations for getting good photos. But the other one, which I haven't used as much, but I know there's a lot of people who are really successful with taking photos this way is, um, using a selfie stick and like a GoPro on the end of a selfie stick, especially if you're on a boat with high sides or you can't get out of the boat. Huh. Um, if the angler can lean over the boat holding the fish and then the photographer can kind of take a photo down, down the length of the boat, that's a really good way. A lot of the offshore um, anglers use that technique for um, <clears throat> like billfish and things. Um, to get their photos. So. Cool. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's super helpful. Um, Cause I know, you know, you're, everyone is, I don't know anyone who's not guilty of, of wanting to get a photo of a, you know, if it's a beautiful fish, whether it's color or a personal best or whatever the case may be um, uh, or, a, or, a, or a new species. And, and those are really good tips um, to, to help. Yeah. You're able to still get still get a, a, a nice quality photo while um, protecting the the fish and making sure that it it, it uh, stays alive. <laughs> at the end yeah, of the day. I mean, we all want our photos, you know. So um, 
yeah, we're not trying to deny anybody <laughs> that, that luxury. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing we sometimes tell people is if you are taking your fish out of the water is hold your breath. And when you need to breathe, the fish probably does too. And it's time mm. to put it back in the water. So that's a good, yeah. that's a good one too. Um, all right, cool. Well, well I, I wanted to, um, talk a little bit about because part of this and and you and I have have, have talked about this before but it's like you talk about a lot of things that um, like climate change for would be one example Um, but there's a host of you know when you're talking about environmental threats you can it can get a little little depressing sometimes you kind of get beat over the head with the stuff and kind of feel hopeless so or at least I do Um, but the, one of the things that, that I've always enjoy in these interviews um, is talking about um, some success stories or some type of um, providing some inspiration. And I wanted to ask you, you know, are, are, is there anything that, um, that, that comes to mind when you think about um, success stories in terms of what Keep Fish Wet is doing? And, and, and I'll just start there. Yeah, well, um, I mean, we just rebranded, as I mentioned earlier, um, and that's gone that's gone really well. Um, and we launched a new program too um, when we rebranded, and and it's we're calling it our Advocate Program, yep. and um, it's a it's a free program, so there's no barriers to entry, and essentially anglers you know, make a pledge to use best practices um, when they're releasing fish. Um, and it's kind of our our way to um, provide anglers with some tools that they can use. Um, and then, you know, we'll we'll continue kind of with educational opportunities for, for people who sign up um, to be advocates. Um, we have some kind of more species specific um, uh, educational tools that are that we have coming online next year. Um, so you know that that's a good way for people to feel like they're um, they're doing something that can make a difference, right? With with each fish that they catch, we call it you know it's it's your opportunity to practice conservation every single time you catch and release if you use best practices. So yeah, no that that's um, I love that. I mean, that, and that's a that's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm saying like you 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 kind of get clubbed over the head with some things and you kind of feel hopeless. And and this is a perfect example of like, here's something that you can do to take action and will make a positive impact on the, on the conservation front. Um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I'm an advocate. I'll, I'll, I'll say that I'm, I'm, I'm signed up and, and on board. And when I was on y'all site, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm always learning. Um, and I, I, I learned some, some great tips on there as well. Um, so if anyone out there, um, is interested in becoming a, uh, is, is it the advocate program? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. uh, becoming an advocate, um, keep Just, uh, if you want to, you want to go, but, um, and, and check that out and sign up to become an advocate. 
um, and learn more about best practices for, for handling fish. But, um, and I, and I said, we'd, we'd come back to this. So I, I, I do want to also, um, say another thing that, that I'm excited about is, uh, keep fish wet is the first nonprofit to join the fly fishing climate Alliance. Um, yes. yeah. So thank y'all and, and, and welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah. We're so happy to be, um, part of it. You know, it's, it's an issue that definitely needs more, more attention. So we're great, grateful to have the opportunity to, to do our part. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and for those of you who, who maybe haven't heard of the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance, we're um, basically just an alliance of guides, shops, lodges, brands, and now a uh, nonprofit. Um, and we're committing to going carbon neutral by 2030. So just uh, be on the lookout and stay tuned. You'll, there'll be more updates regarding that. But um, yeah, I just would, wanted to, to throw that out there because that also gives me hope when there's other people and organizations who um, understand that there is a need to take action and are, are taking those steps. So, um, so yeah, again, appreciate y'all, y'all joining. Um, one of the other things um, of the, of the, that, I, that I wanted to cover, because you mentioned that you lived in Turks and Caicos. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, let's shift gears a little bit and, talk about traveling, fishing, favorite destinations, places. Let's, let's, let's go there with this. Oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when you were living in, in Turks and you said you actually lived there, what, what were you, what were you doing? How long did you live there? What's, what's that story? Yeah. So, um, so on South Caicos, which is probably not the Island you visited because there's, almost no tourism on South Caicos. Um, there is a study abroad program. And so when I was in college, I went there for a semester. It's all focused around marine resource management. Um, and then I went back after I graduated and worked for them. Um, and that's where I met my husband, Andy, um, so he's also a fishery scientist, and we actually um, taught ourselves to fly fish when we lived um, on South Caicos. So we Boy. would teach ourselves to cast, and we taught ourselves to tie flies and um, spend a lot of time wading flats and not catching fish <laughs> um, as well, because, as you know, it's not, it's not a quick learning process. No, um, no. But, yeah, so that was sort of my first, uh, those were my first bonefish interactions. Um, yeah, being in the Turks and Caicos Islands. So, um, you know, wading a tropical flat for bonefish is, uh, is, is certainly my, my happy place. I'd, I'd rather be doing that and, and, you know, than almost anything in the world. So, um, you know, give, give me a, a destination with a, with a bonefish flat that I can walk and, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can, I can definitely relate. I, I you know, people, you know, the, the say, Oh, fish live in the most, most beautiful places. I would add that 
it's actually bonefish that live in the most beautiful locations. <laughs> uh, if there are bonefish, I can assure you it is tropical and beautiful with clear water, likely uh, cl clear blue water. So it's kind of the, and palm trees, you know, you got to have palm trees. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, what about some, um, ha have y'all been able to, or have you been able to um, through your work, uh, whether as a fishery scientist or keep fish wet, um, any other favorite destinations or, or destinations that you've been to that um, really stood out for you? Yeah. Um, and not surprising, it'll be another tropical flats <laughs> destination. Um, but yeah, so we, um, so uh, my husband has a GT project on Alphonse in the Seychelles. So oh, wow. we actually all got to go uh, last 2019, January, 2019. So, um, that was really special. Um, you know, the, the fishing on Alphonse is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, the, the, the conservation ethos of Alphonse fishing company is incredible. Like they're, they have a code of conduct for anglers, um, which is, amazing that they've put in place um you know we've we helped them refine it a little bit but they didn't they didn't need much much help um and then just it's so pristine i mean the it kind of gave me hope right <laughs> you know there are places left on this planet that um have the that kind of biodiversity um it's been a long time since I've been on a, a coral reef that had that much coral cover. And, um, you know, I also got to go scuba diving with my son um, who had just gotten certified. So that was, that was kind of magical too. Um, but yeah, I mean, th that place is, is, is incredible. So it was, you know, as you talk about, right, kind of some of these doom and gloom stories, it was, it was nice to be in a place that renewed my faith that there are still gorgeous, <laughs> untouched, pristine, well-managed places left. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that that's a really important, you know, sort of thing for, for everyone to, you know, I feel like, you knowing that they still exist is certainly mm -hmm. hopeful, but also knowing that, you know, uh, nature is pretty resilient. And so if we sort of imagine what these places might look like in our own backyard, that, you know, that, that is still attainable. Um, and I think we're worth fighting for, um, to, to, to try and preserve and, and, and conserve, uh, something so that it's back in in its pristine form. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a that's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a rare opportunity. It was really great to to be able to see it. So I'll say that I think that might be a good note to to wrap on with a, with sort of a, a message of hope that there's still pristine. Uh, beautiful places left out there in the world. Those places are are certainly worth uh, fighting to protect. And that you know, I think at the the end of the day, you know, we we all need to um, imagine what that might look like uh, in our own backyards and and work to um, to to fight and, and and protect for 
for for that type of uh I'm I'm at a loss for words trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here, but uh nature is resilient, right? Yeah, like, yeah. If we can if we can let, you know, give nature the the our systems the space that they need, um, you know, they they will bounce back. Um they just they need the if we can remove a few more impacts um, and, and then let them be, they'll do what they need to do. Um, so that's the best way. That, to wasn't, it. that wasn't very articulate either. <laughs> <laughs> between no. the two of us. <laughs> no, I, I think between the two, pe- people will be able to, to, to walk away feeling good about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you uh, would like to become a keep fish wet, advocate or support uh, the work that they are doing, uh, visit keepfishwet.org. Sasha, thank you so much for carving some time out for me today. Um, It was always fun to talk, or it's always fun to talk with you and learn more um, about the the, the work y'all are doing to keep fish wet, which is awesome. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your Thanks and have a good one.